there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Worth It podcast. Hello there, Alex. How you doing? Hello. Good, doing good, doing good. Yeah, excellent. Good stuff. So we're back at it again. Episode number, I think, 21. But my maths is always rubbish and I always get the episodes wrong. Do you know what I did the other day? I was... Um, I was looking at through our YouTube playlist and I was trying to update it to see if I could put all of the podcasts in order. Um, and I ended up seeing that we somehow skipped over, I think, two episodes. So two numbers in particular. It's either that the episodes are missing or that we've just completely missed out on two numbers. I think it's episode number 13 and episode number... Is it episode number seven? That's something, like that. something we were quite low and a bit, a bit strange. I don't know. I don't know how I did it. God, that's but, weird. Um, but here we are. Because <laughs> um, I, I thought the other day, I was looking in the playlist in general, and it only had eight episodes in the in the whole podcast playlist. I was like, that can't be right, surely. <laughs> so I first then found out that I'd actually made two podcast playlists. I'd been alternating which one I'd uploaded it to, like a, like a bit of a donkey. Uh... Um, so I sorted all that out to blooming ages um, and deleted that whole playlist. So now we have the proper structure out, but there's only 18 episodes in there, so we are missing missing two. But, uh, but oh well, <laughs> I'm sure they'll uh, recover themselves somewhere. We're going to call them special episodes, the episodes that may or may not have ever existed. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But um, but yeah, welcome back to the episode of the podcast. Uh, we are actually almost towards the end, I think, of lockdown. I don't quite know. I don't really know what's going on. It's a bit confusing. Boris Johnson isn't doing the best um, in explaining what's happening or, you know, where people can go and whatnot. So I don't really know whether we're at a lockdown truly yet or not. But what I do know is that filming is a little bit tough still, and it probably will be tough for quite a while. Um, have you obviously we managed to get out and film for the past two weeks for uh, the new documentary series, and that was really good. But as we start to look towards what we really want to do as a company and what we want to produce as a company, um, and that that being obviously action films, some the genres that rotate around and quite heavy on action, adventure, sci-fi, um, that kind of jazz. A lot of that breaks the two-meter social distance rule when we have to film. So certain scenes require, you know, actors and actresses to be closer to each other um, than normal, and it's kind of tough. Um, you know, Alex, what do you reckon? Do you reckon that you would be able to um, even consider filming at this point now? Yeah, I mean, you, you like you said, there's. there's... You're starting to see companies uh, go out and resume filming. Um, I've seen like a number of people uh, on YouTube who are production companies um, mm. start to at least try to get life back to normal a bit. And I think that's yeah. important because we have to move on and we have to uh, keep on producing content. You know, we can't just keep on being stuck where we are. Yeah, that's right. And it's, a, it's kind of the same thing for a lot of different jobs as well. It's just because our job is, um, our job is really no different to any other. So like, you know, someone who works in an office building would say, well, we've got to go back to work soon because, you know, we can't just, you know, sit, sit at home and do nothing all day because, you know, that's not how money comes in and that's not how, uh, you know, we, we make and develop and move on. I mean, the way in which we've produced content over the past couple of months has vastly changed from what we were doing last year, for example. Um, and obviously, I, I think that the way in which we produce content now is quite good. It works. Um, so I don't think we'll change that much what we're doing obviously the likes of the worth it podcast i'd love that to become something where we can sit in the studio together and um you know face to face and sit there and i don't think that'll change very much as such because um you know the way in which we've developed and kind of coped with the idea of being on lockdown having to film from home um, obviously i'd love to get back together and film the stuff in the studio 
Um, I'd love to get everyone down and go back to filming and making stuff because that's what I really like the most. I love being on set and I love um, producing stuff and making stuff. Um, so the likes of when we film Exploration Nation or when we film the likes of uh, Get Growing, which is just released, that it's, uh, that's kind of perfect. It's like a perfect happy medium for us at the moment, especially as we start to scope out what's going to come into the, in, you know, in the future. Um, so yeah, filming that, documentary stuff where we can go outdoors and stay distant and uh, not have to have much contact um, with anybody else that's kind of the perfect way forward for now sort of to begin paving the way into the next step and then hopefully you know as it comes towards the end of this year maybe maybe even earlier than that maybe some like autumn time then hopefully we can go back to filming properly like we you know like we have been so so yeah it's a it's a strange situation isn't it it's very yeah. strange I definitely didn't expect it. <laughs> don't think anyone expected it, to be honest. But um, but yeah, here we are. We've got to cope. And we've got to just deal with it. And get on with it. Yes, it was a setback, but at the same time, you know, there's always ways and means out of out of an issue. And that's um, it's the difference between somebody who uh, knows the way in which to go and somebody who just gives up. I guess there's no point in giving up ever. Um, so yeah, that's the uh, first section, a little introduction, a little hello, and welcome back to the podcast. We don't have Ella with us this week. Um, unfortunately, there is uh, some internet issues and connectivity issues going on, which will be sorted out for, for next week. We've got quite an exciting podcast episode next week. It's a special episode. We're going to be talking about charity podcast. Uh, it's like a charity podcast in general, talking about Zine, which is a, a project that Ella and her friend and colleague um, Sarah have created and set up. It's a really interesting project, and I really would love for you all to uh, to hear about it and hear a bit more about what they do and what they've been doing and hopefully you know um a little bit more about what what kind of stuff that they've created and um talking about that um i actually uh, ended up getting being chosen for for this particular project and um i actually took some stuff from last i think it was last summer and i uh, i was looking back through all my old footage and all my old files and i can't believe that it's been one year since we did on call that's crazy crazy to think of that that time when we did that daft little comedy we shot in four days and yeah and submitted it it was kind of like the start the first film that we actually properly made as a company and one of the first proper uh, independent short films that we did um yeah it's crazy it's crazy um how many i was counting as well how many short films do you reckon that worth it has done since then Ooh. uh well obviously we did interview and ghostly x mm-hmm. um and then uh we've done the first five episodes of the original run for exploration nation that's right yeah uh, we've done the special and then obviously we got the next mm-hmm. however many episodes we're doing to get growing so uh yeah yeah it's about like five or six different projects yeah absolutely and yeah. it's in the 20s the short film count is in the 20s which yeah. is crazy that's it's a lot to be fair um and obviously i i'd love i love making short films um but obviously you know wanted to progress and wanted to get them to a state in which they're longer and bigger and better and budgeted and funded and through and through until we hit feature film um we need to i guess ramp up our game and move on that's something that we really want to consider when we come out of uh, the post pandemic stuff and you know when we're allowed to um break this 2 meter social distancing rule and when we're allowed to go back to normal filming um i really want to you know try out some bigger projects and we've got some in the pipeline some stuff being planned which is uh it's really interesting do you still have like a um like a dream project that you want to work on at all over the next few years 
I don't know. I'd love to do um, something that was like a fight heavy, uh, mm. like very quick pace, like fight heavy uh, mm. scene. I don't know. Something that incorporated that, you know, be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be great. Um, and I, I watch loads of stuff that's that's fight heavy and action heavy and all all that kind of stuff. And it's so much so interesting to watch. I'd love to be able to make it as well. So yeah, yeah. I can't wait. I cannot wait. So part one now normally for the past i say three episodes maybe four episodes for that matter we've been talking about the 30-day film challenge but it's actually come to an end so the 30 days are up and uh, we talked about the last uh, couple of days in last week's podcast and it leaves a bit of a gap we don't have any film challenges to talk about or anything like that i'm a bit upset to be honest but as soon as we do have another challenge we'll obviously uh, be ready and able to talk about it again um, are there any other challenges alex that you've entered over the past i'd say year at all? Have you, have you entered into any competitions or challenges or maybe it was something to do with, uh, maybe like a YouTuber said, oh man, I'm going to put up this challenge that, that people need to submit to using this hashtag. Have you done anything like that? Um, nothing nothing like uh, that revolved around social media. Like I've done uh, stuff like where it was like, oh, see if you can like recut a video or something like that. But um, um, yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing yeah. that revolved like quite, like quite like the 30 day film challenge, I would say. Yeah, yeah, because this is it's actually a really long-winded one. I lo- normally, you know, a lot of the time when we do, ch- it's gonna be that one-off thing. It's a one-off project or a one-off video. Um, like for example, the My Road Real Film Challenge was a three-minute-long video, and that was just there. It was made. It was done, and that was it. We moved on. It was just one particular post for that whole month. Whereas this challenge has actually taken us the entire month to make and to think about, and it's been really interesting. And it's actually given us quite a lot of content, a lot of topic areas to talk about, and it's you know sparked some nice creative ideas. Um, I found that a lot of the time when we were doing the 30-day challenge, I would have to read more about film and more about um, what to make an educated choice because I didn't want to make a choice where I'd think, oh, I could have chosen this or somebody's going to hate this or I could have chosen something way better than that. I didn't want to be very self-centered and blinkered in my choices, so I decided to try and, I guess, open out a bit more and choose more um, of a variety as such. I still chose everything around 2014. Apparently 2014 was like the best year for film for me because that's all of the all of the years that <laughs> was in there. Literally every single film sure was made in 2014. So I don't know, 2014 must have been a year for me where I actually, you know, got my ass in gear and watched films, but who knows? Um so so yeah, I tried to look around and make sure my choice was um was right, I guess, in a way because sometimes um I'm not a very heavy film watcher, and I never was really, uh, especially growing up, because I played a lot of video games. So therefore, the amount of video games usually took over uh, the amount of time that I had to watch TV and film. So I never really had that kind of film education when going into media. Um, so I was very, uh, uh, I guess, production heavy when I went through the course. So I, I focused a lot on the actual camera aspects and the shots, and I never knew what to reference them to. I never knew where they came from or what influence had. So it's been quite nice to learn learn a little bit more um did you get the chance to watch many films when you were younger um yeah i like i w- watched a couple films um that but i think it I was in like a similar bit to you where it was like i wanted to like i wanted to know how something work, worked rather mm-hmm. than like um try and yeah recreate something or re-envision something you know it was it was yeah. that kind of that kind of thing Absolutely. And I think it's down to the course choice that we made, because obviously we did the same 
uh, course uh, at university um, and that that be immediate production and it's very heavily uh, based around the practical elements um, of creating film uh, or photography or editing or whatever it, it allows you to specialize and choose and I really like that uh, idea um, the ability to uh, be you and find your footing I guess in the media world and decide what you wanted to do and then they would they would then allow you to explore that a bit a bit more and give you the freedom to explore that a bit more whereas if i was to choose something like film studies or creative writing i feel like it was very centered around a set area that requires a lot more theory behind it and knowledge that i didn't really know at the time so i'm glad that media production gave me that ability to i guess uh you know reach around and look for what what works and what doesn't work because i found that the more stuff that i tried um then the more likely uh, uh i would find that i liked it or i hated it so for example, I'll give you a good one. Editing is a really good example. Like I really liked it at the very start, but as time went on, I found that I just hated it more and more and more. And it's not the nature of editing that I hated. It's just more the fact of I just didn't want to. I couldn't bring myself to cut again. So, oh, come on. I don't want to edit this. It's so boring. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I can imagine you're the complete opposite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I've, I started when like I wanted to go into editing and then I've, since as i've been doing it more and more it's like i've learned, learned more things i'm starting to enjoy it a bit more but i think mm. like the similar thing for me or the complete opposite thing was uh from me to you was like shooting like i i went into uni like just i didn't want to really touch a camera i was like i was mm. more focused obviously like more focused on the editing but as i started to like use more cameras and get a bit more uh experience with like all the different gear and stuff it's it's something that i like really enjoy now you know yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it again. It's it, I, maybe it's something like it's a bit daunting to look at. Maybe you think, "Oh my god, I, do I have to learn all about this strange machine right in front of me? I don't know what to do." Um, <laughs> but sometimes you enjoy it, and the more you enjoy it, the easier it is to learn, and the more likely you are to go out and learn more bits about it that you maybe didn't necessarily know before. So um, I, I, I found that. So I hadn't touched the camera at all prior to uni. I didn't really know what DSLR was, didn't know anything about cameras whatsoever. Um, so I actually borrowed my cousin's camera. Um, she she uh, you know got a camera for her birthday, like one of the basic Canon. Uh, I think it was a, a 1000D, the Canon 1000D. Mm. Um, so it was the very starter um, Canon DSLR. It was actually the world's smallest DSLR apparently at the time. So I got that and I started practicing with it, messing around with different kinds of shots and learning ISO, shutter speed, all that jazz in order to try and you know catch myself up because i felt like i was miles behind everyone at uni i felt like they, they knew so much more than me especially around cameras and stuff but i knew that i had advanced knowledge in editing because i've been editing for ages I've been messing around taking clips off youtube re-editing them into something that's stupid um <laughs> so yeah i've been editing for a really long time prior to that and that actually really helps us trans uh what's the word i can't even think of the word um it's a really nice transmission that was it that's what i was gonna say Really nice transmission into our next part of the podcast today. And that's talking about editing in general, because I want to go back to the topic because editing is a really broad area um, and we can cover loads of different pieces, bits and pieces in editing. But I want to today talk about specific programs within editing, uh, within the editing world, because there's loads of different programs that you can use for different aspects and different ways and means. Um, so, you know, off the top of your head, you can probably think of, I'd say at least 20 different yeah. editing programs that are used for various applications from photo to animation to video to um to music to everything under the sun oh my gosh 
Um, and they're all, I, I guess, umbrella programs underneath bigger corporations, the likes of Avid and um, you know the Final Cut guys, obviously DaVinci uh, Resolve and uh, the Adobe uh, package. So, do you have a particular preference? I think we discussed this when we first met you on the uh, one of those podcasts ages ago. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll, uh, mine's like uh, Premiere. I like I like working in the whole like Adobe Suite um, yeah. sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, I take it it's because of the the cross compatibility between all the different programs that you like it that much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's so simple. If I want to send something to After Effects or Audition, I can just one click with a button. Mm. It's all done. Uh, and then I can get like, yeah. live updates if I make a change in After Effects, for example, it automatically goes mm. into Premiere, which is really handy to have. Yeah, that is really useful, to be fair. Um, so, obviously, I did you ever use Sony Vegas at all? Yes, yeah, yeah, that's what I started out on. Cool, yeah. So I started out on the same thing, too. Cracked version, or a really dodgy version of Sony Vegas um, Pro. Um, and I, that, that I used that on a really bad laptop. It was really slow and rubbish. And I think I only ever exported stuff in between 360 and 720p. Uh, never had any HD footage at all because it was always downloaded from somewhere really dodgy. But I did a million different viruses on my laptop at the time. Um, so, so yeah, I started out in Sony Vegas and then moved into Premiere Pro. Um, and then from when we went to university, um, I used Premiere Pro, then switched over to Avid for a couple of years, used Avid religiously, and then went back again to what I use now, which is Premiere Pro. Um, I've tried using DaVinci Resolve. Um, but I can't seem to get it to run properly on my on my laptop. And maybe that's just because I'm not very good at um, hardware stuff um, for PCs and laptops. So maybe that's something that I'm just lacking in knowledge on. Um, but for some reason, DaVinci Resolve just doesn't run for me at all. Um, what do you think of DaVinci? I like it. I mean, I've not tried um, much in terms of actual editing on uh, DaVinci, but I've yeah. tried to use the color grading features a bit. Um, mm-hmm. since I've downloaded it and it, 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 the colour grading features are mad like the amount yeah. of stuff that you can do through that program yeah. is, is unbelievable absolutely and of course you know with having a Blackmagic camera too being able to plug it straight into the software and have it you know utilise the exact um, lens and the exact um, shot type and all of the colour science behind it um, is all particularly focused for the uh, the Blackmagic um, cameras itself so it must be really 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 useful to use um, so Especially, you know, when, whenever you're graded with like raw files, um, I can imagine. Obviously, aside from the the file size being monstrously big and the pain in the backside to sometimes work with, um, the end product and the result that you get out of it must be absolutely brilliant. So oh, yeah, definitely. So yeah, um, have you used much of Final Cut? Um, I've done, I think two, two videos in Final Cut. Mm. Um, so not like a massive amount of experience. But I, yeah. I've used it, used it a couple of times, yeah. I feel like all editing software kind of runs the same. You have your clips, you put them into a timeline, you edit the timeline, then you export the video. It's kind of, you know, bread, that's the bread and butter of video editing, I guess. And most software has to adhere to that format in order for it to work properly. But I've never really kind of got the idea of Final Cut Pro. It seems like a drag and drop software and it seems too quick and too easy. Mm-hmm. Um, there must be loads and loads of background processes that go into um how it works and trying to make it more fluid obviously it's a mac only program too so it's something that i haven't actually personally used that much before i've never had a copy of it i only ever used it in university um and even then that was only to mess around with footage and stuff so i never really cared that much for it so i always always reverted back to uh, premiere pro and back to avid um 
and of course DaVinci Resolve whenever it actually decides to work for me. Um, so I never really got the chance to properly use Final Cut Pro, but I've heard some really, really good things about it. There's like loads of different, um, I think, yeah, loads, loads of different corporate companies that use uh, Final Cut Pro, mm. um, especially to edit their clips if you want stuff done quickly. And yeah. I think that's the whole um, notion around the, the use and the heavy use anyway for, for Final Cut Pro. It's kind of the same as, what's the other program called that's similar? It's like the free version that goes onto MacBooks. Hmm, oh, iMovie. iMovie, that's it. Yes, iMovie, which is kind of a similar like look and feel. Um, so if you you couldn't like afford to spend 250 quid to get Final Cut Pro, then you just look towards iMovie. It's kind of the same structure and layout, just with loads less features. Mm. Um, so, so yeah. Um, obviously, when whenever I was looking around for editing jobs and editing work, a lot of the companies are saying must have experience with Final Cut Pro. And I was thinking, I don't have experience with Final Cut Pro, but I really experience with Premiere Pro. And it, it's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a catch for me always whenever I try and look for any editing jobs in general at all. Have you found that it's the same for yourself? Or? Yeah, I mean, if you uh, stuff like freelance jobs where like you're creating the, the, the job, it's it's okay, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, yeah. But like I say, if you're working for someone, you really you want to try and be in a, a position where you know you know like what they're going to throw at you and if that's yeah cut you know how to use it but like you were saying absolutely I think a lot of the well a lot of the concepts for um all video editing software are very similar um mm-hmm. final cuts just in the fortunate position where it's you know it's made by apple who also made the computers and yeah you know, it's like a vertical integration where you can render something extremely quick on final cut um mm-hmm. And that was the same, I think, uh, one of the new iPad Pros as well. There's an app called, uh, I think it's LumaFusion or something like that. Okay. Um, and because the, the iPad Pros are so quick, uh, they mm-hmm. just render out really, really fast. And to do like yeah. stuff on that, it's it's mad what's going on right now. That'd be crazy. Imagine plugging in you know, your wireless magic mouse and then having the keyboard attachment to an iPad Pro and editing a full... 4k video and then being able to export it so fast and upload it so fast it just makes content so much easier yeah um i think that's always been the one of the biggest hiccups within filmmaking it and that's the the sheer length of time that you create it takes to create a video in post-production um so it's the reason why so many projects are delayed or stalled or um their deadlines are usually extended is due to the fact that it just takes so long to get all the footage together and to have it rendered and to have it played back and to get all the reviews and stuff for it so originally when we when we did get growing for example we intended that to be released last week so that would be the start of june would be perfect but you know with the amount of times you have to render something upload it get notes download it you know re-render it uh, and then upload it again and get more notes and so on and so forth it, it's such a pain in the backside process it takes ages but with the likes of this fast rendering and the idea of having something that boots and renders really fast um it just takes out such a big chunk of time that would be wasted um you know and just sitting there watching the uh the percentage go up and up and up and then fail at the last minute um so speaking of stuff failing and timelines crashing and stuff not responding let's go back to adobe and talk about premiere pro um because premiere pro is very hit and miss um i found especially on windows so when i started at the university i had a macbook pro and i used premiere pro on that and it never crashed i literally ne- it never ever ever froze crashed nothing it ran perfectly um and then i converted to a um, a gaming laptop which obviously has had way better specs than 
um, the MacBook Pro at the time. And every time I work on a project, at least once, it will crash and I'll lose some footage um, or I'll lose a, a particular progress point on the project because I'll always forget to save or whatever. Um, what is the reliability like for you on your Premiere Pro? Um, it's kind of the same story. Like, it's, it's hit and miss. I think one of the reasons uh, for that is that the like in a big technical way like it's it's um adobe optimizes a lot of their stuff for for like intel uh processes mm-hmm. um and obviously yeah macs are exclusively using intel processes at the minute um mm-hmm. so but they have uh something called quicksync um and that allows for like much higher uh speeds for like render times um yeah and so forth but it's a lot more it, it's definitely a lot more reliable when you use like intel processors with uh, adobe it seems mm-hmm. obviously it's not the case across the board because it uh, like you're saying it can depend on your computer as well but um yeah yeah it, it definitely seems that way yeah absolutely it's uh it, it's strange having to rely on software and hardware to to work in unison i guess because uh if they don't work in unison, it can all go wrong, and it's a bit of a pain in the backside to to get around it or fix it or whatever. And there's obviously ways and means in which you can get around speeds at which it plays back and speeds at which you render by you know directed RAM usage and and all that jazz. But you know, I don't want to have to mess around with something. I I'm a little bit, I guess, selfish and lazy when it comes to um, software in a way because I sort of expect uh, it, when it, when you switch it on, I expect it to work straight away rather than having to fiddle about with all my computer settings just to make it work uh, i feel like you shouldn't have to do that i feel like you should have to or you shouldn't have to rely so heavily on um fixing your computer for the program to work it should be the way around it should be the program fixing itself to work on all computers but yeah. maybe that's just a an incorrect opinion i don't know i'm not too sure i'm no expert anyway um trying to run away from editing as fast as i can every time i see it um so so yeah um when we talk premiere pro um when you very first open a project, I want to know what your Windows look like because obviously every single editing software is based around Windows forms and people have different customization um, and different window formats and shapes and sizes and all that jazz. They put their bins over on the left screen or they put the bins on the right screen and have playback on the right or up above them or whatever. Um, and there's loads of different ways and means you can do it. Um, so I'll tell you exactly what. I have on, on my settings. So when I'm comfortably editing any program at all, I have all of my bin structure um, and all my individual bins in different windows on my left monitor. So my left monitor is solely for bins and nothing else. Uh, on my right monitor, I will have the timeline full on the bottom of the bottom half of the screen. And above, I'll have source on the top left and I'll have my actual main, main project timeline window. Uh, as a playback uh, video on the right side um, and every time i need to have effects or edit effects or anything like that that'll be in the on the left monitor with all my bins and stuff like that so um that'll be out the way so it doesn't get in the way of my me looking at my timeline and playing back stuff um, and, and regardless of that anyway all of my um my cut uh, my razor key you know my my select key uh, anything like that is all customed onto my my mouse and my side buttons and stuff like that so you know um, I don't really have to move that much if I'm editing in timeline, which I do quite a lot anyway. I'm quite a lazy editor. I like to edit in the timeline. Um, 
So a lot of the time, all of my stuff and all of my access is right in front of me on my mouse, so I don't have to mess around trying to find panels and stuff to reopen it. So is yours different to mine? Yeah, I think, it, I mean, like like you said, I think uh, we both uh, edit on two monitors, uh, it seems. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I have my left monitor is uh, exclusively for my timeline video. Um, so I get okay. like a full screen, full screen preview of what I'm editing. Um, nice. And then on my right side, uh, I have the full timeline. Um, and then to the left of that, I have all my bins. Mm -hmm. um, and then above that, I have my effect controls, and to the right of that, I have my uh, source, my source monitor. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. I just have a strip down the side uh, for all my like uh, color correction or color grading and my effects panel. Uh, yeah. So that I can just easily like drag and drop those onto the project. Yeah. So I've, I've done some work at a post production house, and um, a lot of the time you have to sit at different stations and different edit rooms uh, per day so or per week for that matter so every time you go to a new edit station the difference between all of the all of the layouts and everyone's stuff is crazy um so uh, like for example an another big one do you edit on wacom tablet or do you edit on mouse i edit on mouse see i i often edit on wacom so it's, uh, again another, another completely different one. even though i just mentioned buttons on my mouse a lot of the time i don't use my the wacom and on the pen i'll have different buttons that that will allow me to do different things um so you know i learned how to use wacom because of la productions where I, when, when i worked there for them because they all religiously use wacom so i thought right may as well get used to it now whilst i've got it um so you know i got used to it then so now i can't really go back i feel like i said the edit is much faster on wacom because i feel like it'd be much more accurate because um, mm. obviously in the square of the Wacom tablet is where your screen is for that matter. So I feel like I can put and press and whatever really, really quick on, on Wacom and mouse is a little bit more inaccurate for me. Um, so I use Wacom for most of my editing stuff now. Um, and yeah, as you say, your your layout is completely different to mine in its entirety. Uh, if I had the ability to have three monitors, that would be brilliant because then I would put full playback on one of the monitors and then have the the next monitor on for timeline and the next monitor for, for bins and storage and stuff like that. I think that would work probably the best. Um, but yeah, it's about what I like the most about setting up my space, uh, my workspace anyway, is I love the ability to have, um, I guess, space. Just in general, just space. If I can like clearly see all of my stuff in front of me, I'm happy. I don't really like cluttered um, stuff. I don't like throwing stuff everywhere. I found the hard way, or I found out the hard way anyway, that messing around with footage and putting it in dodgy bins and renaming them to silly names and stuff and not keeping track of stuff is the worst thing. Mm. Um, because as a, as a project gets bigger and bigger, it gets so complex and confusing. Do you have specific naming conventions for your bins and stuff? Or? Um, yeah, so I usually uh, separate, when I'm editing, I'll, I'll separate, um, like for Get Growing, we filmed on uh, two different cameras. So yes. Um, I will usually separate the footage and I will name each folder as what that camera was. Um, right. And then inside that, um, I like forget growing. I did uh, episode one, two, three. And then after that, I did dash A or dash B if it was like the A cam or the B cam. Um, so yeah. that allows me to easily just, if I go down the list, I can say, oh, okay, well, that's episode one A. Uh, mm. And that was shot like on, on the Canon camera. So we'll go in there and drag it onto the timeline, you know. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty damn organized. And, um, you know, I, I often use uh, just numbers to organize my footage anyway. So like you say, A, B, cam splits itself. 
I have. Um, so I'd say if I started off, it'd be not not one would be assets, not not two would be video, not not three audio, not not four um, intros, outros, all that shizzle. Um, and then if if you go into each folder, it'll then be broken down into its individual camera point where it's come from. Um, every time I plug in a new SD card, that'll be have its own specific name and place now. Um, because a lot of the time what I do is I just go folder one and then another folder inside that and have a different set of footage and another folder inside that have a different set of footage. It was so confusing, so yeah. convoluted. Um, so yeah, organization is key. If I ever learned anything. Um, so yeah, and that actually brings us quite nicely to the end of today's podcast. So I really do hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure you drop a like on the video. If you do want to come over and see our ugly faces, then YouTube does show that off quite nicely in HD as well. Oh my gosh, how scary. Um, but yeah, if you are listening over on Google Play, Google Podcasts, um, Spotify, wherever that may be, then make sure you come over and check out all of our other social media channels too. That'd be very much appreciated of course if you're watching over on youtube then you want to do the opposite and you want to listen on the go then spotify and all that jazz is available i'll put the link down in the description below of course and don't forget to subscribe to our channel for way more content than just the podcast we've got behind the scenes stuff we've also got over on our facebook community page our brand new show get growing which we'll be talking all about in two weeks time we'll have steve prudence on the show to have a little chat about his project and all the work he's been putting into it. He's been doing an amazing job and his project looks absolutely brilliant. So I can't wait to show you the rest of the season and talk to him about how he made the show, a little bit about his background and what he did. Don't forget to stay tuned for next week's episode, of course, be talking to Ella and Sarah Garvey. And yeah, other than that, that's it. Thank you very much, Alex, for popping along again today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. That's quite all right. And I'll speak to you all in next week's episode. Bye. Bye.